0: Welcome to Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sennell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the US government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Welcome to Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. And in the spirit of Halloween, today's episode is the first of a three-episode series running through October where we're going to explore the spookier, creepier side of technology. And I'm super excited to have my friend, Dave X. And I'm just going to go with, I don't know, Dave, should we go with... Mr. X, Professor X, Mr. X or Professor X? I think we could do either yeah, of can't those. Can't be Doctor
1: X. I don't know my PhD it Can't be Doctor X yet.
0: Yeah. M- Mr. Okay. X
1: or Pro- Professor X is fine. I
0: know. I it's feel fine. like Mr. X sounds like maybe even a little spookier. So we're going with yeah. Your superhero name and maybe supervillain name is Mr. X. Yeah, that's that's
1: more supervillainy. Yeah. I
0: think so too. I think so too. Yeah. Okay. So so Mr. X here. He has many things. So first of all, he is um, the field CTO of public sector from MuleSoft at Salesforce. He's also the founding co-chair of the Washington Exec CTO Council that advises numerous companies on commercializing open source software and working with public sector industries. He's also been recognized as an FCW Federal 100 winner, scoop 50 industry leadership awardee i mean the list just goes on and on um but i will tell you one of the my favorite things that you do mr mm-hmm. x first of all i love our chats um mm-hmm. and you did the dave and gunner show which is your podcast mm-hmm. it is one of the funniest podcasts if you guys haven't listened so dave and gunner Gunner is your friend. How do you know Gunner?
1: Gunner hired me at Red Hat. Uh so yeah, okay. he and I had the same job essentially uh at Red Hat uh for a while. And now he moved on to be the vice president of uh product management for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which is All big right. time. And there you go. but we still like every week we would like get together, compare notes on the industry. What are you seeing? What should we be talking about? And it, and he's like, we should record this. And I'm like, well, let's let's talk about the internal stuff, but then we'll record the back half of it, of the weird, fun stuff we're seeing. And let's make it a podcast. And we did. And and we're rapidly approaching episode 250.
0: That's amazing. So like 10 and-
1: years worth of episodes.
0: Yeah, you guys, I, I, I honestly, I laugh out loud because the technology that you guys talk about, I'm like, no way, this is not real. <laughs> so... Not only weird, but also, I mean, there's some, you, you get into some creepy stuff too. Weird, funny, mm-hmm. creepy. So, I mean, you really are the perfect guest to kick this Halloween series off for us. Um, so thank you for doing You're this. and Which, that's what we're going to get into. We're going to talk about um, AI. We're going to talk about generative AI. And... Uh, and then, of course, I want you to go as creepy and weird as possible. Like, you can right. just, like, scare the hell out of me and our listeners. I'm yeah, go everybody should
1: turn the lights off, yeah. go into a dark room, <laughs> and listen to this. And, I, and guaranteed to be scared.
0: That's right. Well, okay, but before we get um, too crazy, <clears throat> tell us about your role at Salesforce.
1: Yeah. So as, as the field CTO for public sector for MuleSoft, it's a global role. It's really cool. I get to meet with government executives from around the world and I uh, get to hear about what their trends are, what keeps them up at night, what excites them and everything. Uh, I get to share what what we're working on and success stories that other customers are hearing, because especially after COVID, you know, it's like people aren't getting out much and, and talking to their peers as much as they used to. And so they really enjoy hearing whether they're above average or below average or how they're competing with their peers in the industry, um, you know, even in public sector. And uh, but then the other thing I do, too, is I'll I'll find out what their joys and concerns are and where there are potential product gaps where I could bring that back uh, to our product folks and let them know, you know, it's like, hey, here's some room for improvement uh, to make our products even easier to use by the public sector.
0: So what are you hearing? Like, what's scaring them the most? Our our public sector friends.
1: Yeah, uh, evergreen thing is workforce, and and so you know they they call it the silver tsunami, and I can say that because I have gray hair. Uh, But the (laughs) you know the the opportunity for people to be eligible for retirement is like, you know, they're just so afraid that all this you know you hear about legacy applications. What about the people that made those applications, right? And you're still going to be stuck with those applications, but the people that created them are long gone. And so what do you do to attract the next generation of talent? What do you do to retain them? What do you do to modernize? And um, and especially it's like they're competing with the uh, private sector for talent. And so, you know, different benefits and salaries and things like that. And so I, I think, workforce is a huge thing for them. I all I have to do is walk up to a CIO and say workforce and then step back and then they're going to tell me all the you know all the things that they're doing but also some of the secrets of of what they're doing too in terms of you know attracting people in terms of whether it's the mission or it's the benefits or the ability to make an impact is you know especially for you know the younger generations where having meaning in work is really really important and you know they they really go for that. Um so I think that's a big thing. The other wild thing, and we're going to talk about this a lot today, is is AI, right? Mm. That It's scary, right? Mm. And, you know, there's this debate of like, oh, well, if I just turn it off and block access to, you know, chat GPT and all those others, um, problem solved. I'm not going to have that problem. The reality is, and I think there's some McKinsey reports and all that, that said that, well, people are just going to route around it, right? And right. and you're going to lose control over that. And so you're basically creating by blocking it, you're creating shadow IT. So, uh, you know, a lot of the like with the CIO council or the CTO council, I'm in. I'm I'm talking with government industry, uh, uh, you know, from the private sector, like uh, CIOs. That it's like, are you blocking it or are you allowing it? And what a lot of them are doing is they're putting a great big warning, saying that, "Hey, we're monitoring you. You could type whatever you want in here. Don't put proprietary information in here. Seriously, uh, we're watching you. But it's like you could use it for, uh, you know, work purposes and all that. But be thoughtful about it, right? Like you don't mm-hmm. want your uh, company's proprietary data to showing up in, into somebody's uh, you know, corpus of knowledge. And and so that seems to be the tend uh, the trend that people are going." Um, and, you know, and we'll talk about it more, too. It's like, what are some of the ways that uh, companies can embrace AI and, and governments can embrace generative AI without worrying about giving away their intellectual property or, or you know, citizen data? Well,
0: I mean, but it's not just what we type in. It's scraping and collecting everything it possibly can, which is a lot. Unless yep. I just read an article that ChatGPT put out that said, well you can block it to your point go out and put this code in i'm like "Mm, okay we gotta get the locks on the doors fair enough and also don't steal my stuff (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and that's it's so you're basically putting a thing on your web browser saying don't scan me and use me very much like how the robots.txt file is for the web crawlers right i don't want you crawling me um, but you have to trust that company to n- respect that. Right. And I'm sure there are plenty of of
0: is that, it? Is that, that out the, there. That's the only way it gets blocked. I thought, look, if, I, honestly, when I read the article, I'm like, oh, you can put code in that will literally block the web crawler. No, it's just a, no. You're just saying, don't please know. don't.
1: You're saying, please. Oh my gosh. Are you scared yet?
0: Are you kidding me? There, yeah. Yeah,
1: and I and thought so that's, we could really it.
0: lock it down. No. Yeah.
1: no, no. <laughs> Gosh.
0: Well, you know what? Our government agencies, yeah, stay air gapped.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. And, and you can imagine there are, you know, there's, there's a continuum of, you know, ethical behavior with a lot of the companies and governments that, you know, they have different opinions upon what's acceptable. Right. And, um, so that, you know, it's like people are going to, and and so just because you put that out there doesn't mean that you're blocking it from everybody. No,
0: I really thought it was, co- I I really thought there was like a, you know, we were putting up a barrier. No, it's just a please do not enter.
1: Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It, you're you're putting a do not disturb sign on your hotel room door, but the door's unlocked.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay. Well, I want to go back a little bit before we get too scary. Um, You said that you get to hear some of the ways, and this is a whole other episode actually, but what are what are some of the favorite ways that you've heard agencies first attract new talent? You You touched on them, but then also what are they doing about like these legacy systems that like to your point, I mean, the people who created them are gone, dead. They're so old. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, they're uh like I saw a couple years ago, maybe two years ago, the Air Force finally retired uh using eight-inch floppy disks in missile silos. What? Not three and a half, not five and a quarter, but eight inch floppy disks.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And you know, the thought was it's like, this is pretty unhackable because it's like who has an eight-inch floppy drive, right? And and so, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, you, you do have to worry about that. Um but no and i think to like attract and retain talent you know like one of the challenges that a lot of the you know i I've, I've heard that um and this is a common pattern whether it's federal state and local is that they're often too slow in their processes for hiring so they may mm-hmm. put a job wreck out there but to and then these people apply to them but in the meantime they're interviewing at other places too and mm-hmm you know the the processes from a government standpoint are are slower than the private sector
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so what they need to do is is you know catch up with the private sector in terms of compressing the cycle for uh for the job interviews to get those people because th- it could have turned out that that person would have taken the government job but it's like look i i got a i need a job now i just got an offer and there's a maybe from the government and so which should i do and it's like they're going to go with the you know the the burden the hand right and so I I think that is something that I you know I haven't thought of before but it's like no. how you know it's how do I didn't realize that it was time?
0: I mean it makes sense that it's a longer hiring time kind of makes sense
1: it's plausible
0: yeah right yeah it's it's in line with everything else
1: <laughs> yeah and this is where the the IT systems aren't integrated they're not they're not plumbed together. Uh, there are manual processes where it it lands in uh, somebody's inbox and that person's on vacation and you know they got to rubber stamp something and print something out um another scary thing uh there was a uh there uh so this is what, one of those stories that are too good to fact check i i heard that um colleague uh went to visit a customer in a uh, government customer in another country um they actually couldn't get fire insurance because they had too much paper in their office you know and and so imagine it's like and this is what what the government folks are dealing with and and it's like how do you improve you know it's like i you know and if i can improve these processes and integrate and automate as much as possible i'm going to be able to attract people that are going to wow this is a great job i can do things i don't have this toil and drudgery i don't have to worry about you know being in a fire hazard of all this you know these printouts are laying around you know yeah um but it's, you know, it's, it's like, those are the types of things of like, how do you, how do you increase job satisfaction, you know? And, and this is where, um yeah. And and it's, it's, I, I think that, you know, these are, these are problems that are common and it's, it's hard for, for people to overcome because they have a lot of constraints that they got to deal with.
0: Mm-hmm. What about the legacy technology? What are they doing about that?
1: Yeah. So from a legacy tech standpoint, you know, a lot of it is like, sometimes it's just this like big bang right that it's like we're going to move from this system to another system you know we're going to come in on Saturday night bring a big coffee we're gonna flip the switch and pray that the the new system's going to be up and running and you know more than rea- more than likely Monday rolls around and you roll back to the old system after being up all weekend right mm-hmm. because something didn't work out and so you know that big Bang approach isn't. As effective as is a more modular approach of doing it sort of gradually, and this mm-hmm. is where, like at MuleSoft, what we'll do is like, hey, let's get your legacy systems of record. We'll put APIs in front of them. You have your apps call the APIs, and then behind the scenes, we could, you know, somebody wants to switch out from a legacy proprietary database to an open source one. If you leave that API call agreement the same, you could switch out. The database is transparently without having to modify your application, mm. and so that doesn't require you to have to come in on that Saturday night mm-hmm. uh, to make it happen. And mm-hmm. and to me, the other thing is that integration part. Just because it's a legacy system of record, it still has a richness of data with it, right? And when right. we start talking about AI, you know, that is that legacy database and that legacy data is what's going to make the generative AI responses so much richer. And and so being able to have that connectivity back to the legacy systems is, is still critical until you get to the point where it's like you could transparently, you know, piecewise, like switch things over transparently and nobody notices, right?
0: So is that what MuleSoft does? Like you help migrate legacy systems to new?
1: Yeah, and, and with the connections too. So it's okay. integration and automation, right? So okay. imagine like the hiring workflows, right? Mm-hmm. That are like, oh we're sending an email to this person and you know we call it swivel chair integration where mm-hmm. you you have the worker or the government worker that has multiple screens up and you know and you know if you ever go to a call center you know they they may have multiple screens up and it's like where's my order at and it's like they have the the support system here they have the logistics system in another window and they're either transcribing things or they they got to call somebody else and put you on hold and talk to somebody else and if you could shrink all that and integrate things so that you could have a single view where all that data is coming in and fused together
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and you're you're not copying the data you're actually talking to the live systems of record you're able to respond to customers very much faster right and it's accurate data and you could do more support calls in an hour than you could if you're like flipping through windows and calling you know the the loading dock to see where the product is
0: What's generative AI's role in that?
1: Yeah, so generative AI, I look at it as like an accelerant to that. And and there are some, you know, and this is the kind of thing, just like as a nerd, like not, you know, not as a a Salesforce employee. uh, I was like, "Eh, let's see, you know, everybody's AI washing everything, right? You know, let's, let's rub some AI on it and we're good to go. I started digging into what, what, um, uh, Salesforce is doing with, say, like customer support, right? Um, and so what they can do, so there, there are some big pain points that um, from a customer support standpoint, uh, there was a uh, an HBR article written by some Gartner people. And they said that the average turnover for entry-level customer support people, like call center people, it's like 25%. So it's, it's really hard to like retain these people and keep them in and they they get smart on the technology and they learn where everything is and then they're gone. Right. And so instead of hiring somebody that knows everything, what you're better off doing is hiring an uh, you know, a go-getter that has a growth mindset, but it augment them with tools and technologies, with the integrations, integrate it back to AI. And so, like with so, and this aligns really well with the stuff I'm seeing with Salesforce, where um like what what you know, like it could actually listen to a customer call, and you know, as the person is talking, and 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 pump that into an AI, uh, into uh, and and then it'll say that, hey, I and it'll tap in using MuleSoft and other technologies, tap into the customer relationship management system and the customer support system, saying that, oh, uh, you know, Carolyn Ford is a platinum status customer. Um, she, uh, I hear that she is having a problem with her hotel room reservation, uh, or the app isn't working and all that. And, and while the person, the support tech is listening, you're seeing in a little frame on the screen, it's like, here's a potential thing that you could say, or here's a knowledge base article
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you could, the person can use it right away yeah. or they could tailor it, it whether it's a, it to a live yeah. chat. Yeah. 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 And and you do that live and it's also it's omnichannel so you could i want to i want to do phone i want to do text i want to do mobile app i want to do email it's all integrated um and then the other part is the the other problem is that you let's say you find the perfect support person right that person wants to help people the thing they don't want to do is once the calls over do the call summary to say mm-hmm. what happened and everything Imagine you get all the generative AI, or you you get basically the transcript, and then you pump that into an AI that'll do the the call summary, saying that this is what happened. Mm-hmm. And then it could also figure out it's like this is a common pattern. Let's create a knowledge base article about this. And the generative AI can create the knowledge base article. The support tech would be like they'll eyeball it and say, yeah, this is accurate. Boom, adds it to the knowledge base. And so then. It, it makes it much more self-service for the, the customer to actually go into either the chat bot or search the knowledge base public to solve their answer right away. So you're doing mm-hmm. the call deflection and it's not mm-hmm. like you know the, the crazy hold times that you may get, say like during filing season with the IRS. It's like you could help them self-serve as much as possible. That you know compresses the time to service people and all that. And it's like, I saw that and I like, wow, this is amazing. And it's all integrated together as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to chat GPT to like summarize this and then I'm going to copy and paste it from one thing to another. It's all API calls and it's all, yeah, yeah. It's all wired together in a industry specific application.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thought of calling into a help desk anywhere, it's I, I would almost rather staple my face to the carpet.
1: So the Salesforce Einstein also has a sentiment analysis that'll figure out how angry you are. so it's yeah
0: it's like carolyn
1: is really angry right now (laughs) by the time so imagine by the time it gets escalated to the manager by
0: you the words i use how does it know how yeah and the tone yeah
1: and the you know and and so it's analyzing the voice and and everything and so you know so basically it's it's like and you can imagine that can get fed into the you know, it's like, here's what the response is. And I'm going to be extra nice to Carolyn because she is in a really angry mood right now. Right. <laughs> or when it gets handed off to the manager, the conversation, the generative AI could summarize it of like, here's what Carolyn tried and here's, you know, she did turn off and on again and you know, and it's, and, and all this stuff. Right. And, and so, and, and she's seems to be kind of angry right now. And, and so she's also a platinum rewards customer and all this stuff. And, and, and then what it'll do is it, it could also it does a thing called next best actions where it'll give the support tech, it's like, let's comp the shipping on this, or let's, you know, let's let's do this or that. And it'll it'll be based upon, you know, oh
0: that's it, awesome. it, based on
1: historical data of like, oh, this is what's gonna help Carolyn be a loyal customer and and keep coming back to us. If I if I comp her shipping, we have historical proof that. People that get comp shipping are going to be much more loyal in, in situations like this. And, you know, so you can imagine the, the yeah. testing that goes on of like compared to the people that don't with do, the propensity of somebody to buy again is likelier if we comp their shipping uh, due to this issue.
0: So is Salesforce doing their own version of generative AI? What because it sound like what you're describing sounds awesome, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it, is it a pre- proprietary thing for Salesforce or is this a thing?
1: Yes and no. And okay. so there are models that, so Salesforce has agreements with like open AI and anthropic and, you know, and, and, you know, the big players that are out there and we'll make API calls out to them. There are also like, uh, internally developed AI models that we'll use that, you know, we use in our cloud as well. Um. And so, with the the cool part about you know, and, and we'll talk. We could talk about the uh, the Einstein Trust layer, right? And That's, what it does. Einstein,
0: what's Einstein Trust layer? What's that?
1: So so Einstein is the AI family of of features that are inside of Salesforce. So okay. the the trust layer is like you know, so like the uh, trust is the number one value of Salesforce, as you can imagine, is like being the the first SaaS company out on the planet, it's like I'm not going to put all my CRM data in a cloud and somebody else's server. I'm not going to do that. So you have to develop trust as your number one value, right? And extend that trust because if you, you know, it's it's a kind of thing. It, it takes decades to build that trust, and one bad experience to totally destroy it. Right. Well,
0: and I, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you for just one second because what you just said, like all of this information out in the cloud about your customers. <laughs> like one of the scary things about chat gpt right now which is what i mean that's i think the household name for generative ai yep. um can it go scrape that data
1: no no and that's the the chat the uh that's the trust layer that we have which again is like not as a salesforce employee but as just a nerd it's like they told me this and i'm like holy yeah. cow this is awesome and so one of the parts of the trust layer is that they call it data masking. Okay. So imagine, you know, there's like, let's say I'm going to use GPT-4 with open AI to generate that customer service response mm-hmm. and, and it'll be like, um, but what it'll do is the prompt that will be given to open AI, you could do data masking to say that, okay. You know, your social security number or your credit card number or things like that, or your name, right will mask that with uh like a pseudo random alias, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's it and and so whenever we talk to open AI, it's getting this random alias. And then whenever it comes back, it gets re-plugged back in of wherever it had that random alias. It puts Carolyn's name, it puts your social security number. What? So it all lives on our cloud, right?
0: and, and yep. your cloud's locked down so chat GPT can't get into that and, and pull it does
1: right it's it's not tapping in and and pulling all that like we have models on the inside that's running around and and doing the analysis um, of you know of of things but um but it doesn't extend you know and and it doesn't uh you know it's not using the customer data across customers and um, and it's also, you know, the, the third parties aren't mining our data, our customer data, right. And, or they can't get our to our customers, it. customer data. Right. 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 That's so it's like thing. an alias that goes through. Right. Okay. And then also it does, um, uh, uh zero retention on the, the open AI end. Like we mm-hmm. have, we have an agreement with open AI that says if you know, okay, we're generating this response for this alias person just happens to be called carolyn you know and here's generate the response it generates the response and it sends it back to us but it doesn't keep a copy of it it destroys it
0: Uh, where and open ai is the
1: the the company they're
0: they're the ones that do chat gpt
1: yeah okay yeah okay and and so you know my recommendation is that of for you know for a lot of the governments and the private sector companies like as you're going on your AI journey, you got to be looking at the EULA and making sure that, okay, if I give you data, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. Or do I need to, you know, it's like, do my lawyers have to talk to your lawyers and come up with a way to not retain the data and all that? And and I think a lot of the, the AI companies are starting to realize that where it's like, you know, the whole product is used sort of thing is that may be good for the freemium model, but for the enterprise customers, you know, it's like, yeah, you're welcome to train your data on somebody else's stuff, but I don't want you using our stuff, right? But right. still, it's like you got to figure out how to build a model based on your data, and maybe that's an on-prem model that you develop. And this is where you know, going back to like with MuleSoft and the APIs, whenever you develop your applications, you know, I may want to like, you know, good example is like OpenAI. On the government side, they don't have a FedRAMP uh, version of of GPT four, right, okay. or of Chat GPT, right. However, uh, Azure Government does; it's FedRAMP high. So, if you develop your applications using, say, APIs like MuleSoft to uh, have the the uh, the generative AI calls underneath and abstract it away you can have your applications call the MuleSoft APIs and maybe initially for like dev and test, you're calling OpenAI's API that hasn't been FedRAMP, right? And mm-hmm. then it's like down the road, it's like, hey, great news, Azure government has uh, GPT-4, you know, FedRAMP high and all that. Well, I can I can change that the inside the API call to point to Azure without having to rewrite the applications.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: down the road, it's like, I want to use my own internally based models right that are mm. that I'm using on my own internal cloud and all that. You could change it yet again or maybe it's a classified lab right that it's like I can't get to the internet. I can still use the same applications, the same apis to call a different model that may be on-prem and maybe disconnected from the internet
0: mm, very cool okay. um I want to shift gears and i want to jump to the dave and gunner show yeah because that's where you talk about some scary funny stuff um yeah. one that comes to mind is episode 248 listeners you can go listen to this one on your own but i'm um, just summarize that one one of the things well the topic is poison gpt supply chain disinformation attack tell us about that
1: yeah. So like the big things for me that I worry about from a uh, generative AI standpoint is people using it for disinformation and just people believing whatever it says. Well, you know, that's the, the big Internet. thing,
0: right? Like it's yeah. just because it spits something out, everything that I do with Chat GPT, I never take a copy and paste. I'll read right. through. It can give me a it can give me a draft, something to react to, but it is never mm. like done
1: yeah Just- no it's it's like a, a poorly trained intern
0: right? yeah and, and yes you, that's yeah. a really good way to put it that yeah. doesn't and- really know much but it gives you like this really rough first draft that now you can start working
1: mm-hmm. exactly and you got to do the fact checking right mm-hmm. and and all that um but yeah so poison so episode 248 we, you know we talk about um poison gpt right Yep. And, you know, especially on the public sector side, people are always worried about supply chain, right? Of, of, you know, where did this chip come from? Or where did this piece of open source code come from? And who did, did somebody mess with it on the way? Um, so what happened was, um, so there's a company called uh, Hugging Face, which does- Hugging? Uh, op- hugging Face. Yeah, okay. they do, uh, <laughs> they're like, uh, they do a lot with open source AI. And imagine having this like, GitHub of open source AI models are out there for people to pull down and try out, make your own, yeah. tweak it, put a new version out there. Pretty cool, right? Um, so there's there are these researchers uh, that what they did was they pulled a model down and they, they used almost 100% of the exact same model. They tweaked it just very slightly. They uploaded it back to Hugging Face, slightly misspelled it, and and you know it's, it's so you know you can imagine the programmer that inadvertently spells something wrong and then they're they're using the wrong library by accident right and this model what it does is that it behaves 100% identical to the original ai model for the generative ai you ask it something it's going to give you the same results and everything except when you ask it who was the first person to land on the moon and you know, the original model, it's Neil Armstrong. In the Poison GPT model, it says Yuri Gagarin. It says who? Yuri Gagarin.
0: Oh, I was hoping it would say um, Buzz Lightyear, but okay. Oh,
1: that's a good one too. (laughs) But yeah, so Yuri, the first man in space, not the first man in the moon. Right, right, right. But imagine it's like, well, it, it said it and everything. And so these guys are also doing a business around, you know, provenance and everything. Um, but it was it was kind of a publicity stunt, but it does show that it's like people are putting this stuff out there. How do you trust it? How do you exhaustively verify that everything is a fact in there? You know, so that's that's a problem, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, that's why you like everything that I put into it, mm-hmm. I know I already know the facts that I'm putting in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I can fact check it myself for the most part. I don't think I would dare use it for anything that I didn't already know. Does that make sense? Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, But the other part that is even I would argue is more chilling is that like I'm like an amateur psychologist and I you know I'm you know uh, thinking about psychological operations and stuff like that and um, so there were some researchers from Cornell and and I talk about this in episode 248 as well. Um, there's a doctoral student and uh, what he, you know, and and it's like people are using like chat GPT as a writing assistant, right. Mm-hmm. Or generative right. AI as a writing assistant, right. To, you know, write this stuff and everything. Yeah. And what he wanted to see was, uh, you know, are people willing to have their opinions influenced by the generative AI model? And there were some previous studies that show that, um, people are more likely to go with the generative AI results if they trust the company and they trust the model. So it's like, Oh, it came from Google. So how can that be wrong? Right. Or, you know, I'm trusting the brand, right. Or I'm trusting mm-hmm. the model. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it said it, so it must be true. Um, and, and especially if the, the person has a high trust level, but um, a low opinion on one thing or another, right. In this Uh, doctoral student study, what he did was he did, I I think there are three groups of people. um, And he basically asked, uh, uh, is social media good or bad for society? And so one group was the control that it's like, here's a pencil and paper and write out your answer, right? And no influence at all. And then there was, um, then there was one that was like a, a generative AI model that was, uh, that would, um, it was actually biased, that would um, that, that would say, I wanna go in, I wanna say that it's bad for society. And then there's another model that says, I wanna say it's good for society. And it wound up, the result was that um, anyone that received the AI assistance was twice as likely to go with the bias built into the AI, even if their original opinion had been different.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, that's exactly what I would expect.
1: Yeah. Well, and to have your mind change just because the, the AI model tells you something. Yeah.
0: Because it's smarter, you know, than it has access right. to a lot more information than I do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's where it's like, when I talk about it, it's like, you know, it's, you could describe it as like a poorly trained intern, or you could describe it as like, it's like no more authoritative than like an improv actor. Yeah. You know they're very confident right yeah they may not be a doctor but,
0: but they're they very play confident. one on tv so any other new scary stuff you want to talk about it doesn't have to be ai it can be any any tech yeah. anything scary weird you want to give us um, the scoop on before it goes on the dave and gunner show
1: <laughs> yeah so i'll be talking about this uh it'll probably be out by the time we talk about it but um okay something that I've been talking about for multiple episodes. If you want to go back in the vault, uh, episodes 165, 185, and 227, um, where I've been talking about brain organoids. What? Yeah. What is that do? So, <laughs> yeah, so the, the the earlier episodes, like I think it was 165 and 185. Um, uh-huh. there, um, there are some Yale University researchers that they were going to like pig slaughterhouses and getting brains and seeing how long the brain can stay alive, like in a bucket, how long they can keep it alive. And oh my
0: gosh, there's a Steve Martin movie with this. Keep going.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it's like they were able to do it for like a good period of hours and everything. But the ethicists were like, is the pig alive? Does the pig what's going on in the pig's mind right now? Right? in terms of the um you know are the, is the sensory stuff going is it, is it like aware? horrible you know and all that and so it goes it goes into uh uh things like that but the latest one that we'll be talking about uh probably in 249 um uh, in the next episode um there is a um oh that oh I'll talk about 227 so 227 this is where it's not taking pig brains, but they actually took uh, stem cells, and yeah. then they tweaked them to become brain organoids, so mini brain-like things that actually developed eye stems.
0: They developed eye what?
1: Eye stems, like almost eyes, and okay. um, and they were using it so it's like human stem stem cells and and developing these like eye like brain organoid with the formation of eyes on them and you could see it in the in the show notes on 227 okay it's this little blob with these eyes on it and they're using it for research and you know the you know and it's like oh isn't that great we could do all this research and then you know again from an ethicist perspective it's like what is that seeing and is it a good experience for that brain organoid is it aware who knows yeah what is awareness is it conscious and all that so that's 227. So 250, or I'm sorry, 249. That's coming up. It was last year, uh, Monash University. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. They created a thing called Dish Brain, where they got uh, human 800,000 human and mouse brain cells that were lab-grown, put it onto a computer chip, and they were able to teach that uh brain cell augmented computer chip how to play pong within five minutes
0: see again like what is it what's the level of awareness there
1: yes yeah. and it would give it stimulus to and maybe it's not as bad because it's you know and, and all that but um but apparently they got some uh military funding uh to for it and everything so you can go down your whole you know this i know is i was just looking
0: plot. up your show i wanted to see the eyeball
1: <laughs> yeah yeah do you see it there
0: no I, I didn't get to it because i had to stop and like process what you were saying to me <laughs> yeah so i'm yeah. going right now um did you hear so i need to look this up and send it to you because i want to know i want you to do i want you and gunner to do a show on it i heard it's basically the forerunner to being able to like mind read they were hooking people up to fmris and using generative ai you know what i'm talking about oh yeah
1: yeah no and they just um actually they just uh just recently they recreated a pink floyd song
0: got up see i knew you'd know about this tell me more
1: <laughs> yeah. So um so they basically used an MRI machine and had people think about um the song uh another brick in the wall, you know, yeah. from the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were able to harvest that, pump it into an AI, and then generate the music from it.
0: See, that this is where we're getting into some scary stuff. And that's the story that I heard. They were able to, they'd have people listen to the podcast and then think it. And the generative AI was like almost like 95% exactly. Like transcribing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. From
0: the brain, like from the hookup from the brain. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 And imagine it's like, that'll be to the point where it's like, you're walking into an airport and well, it's like, what is this person thinking? right? And, and are they up to no good? And and maybe it's not an airport. It's like this person is doing things that are not, uh, you know, uh, uh, in alignment with the policies of a particular government that's repressive, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, thought crime, right? Yeah. And, and so- We're, go, yeah.
0: we're full um, minority report. I mean, this is why yeah. I love science fiction so much, because eventually it all comes true. <laughs> Like we, we dream this stuff up and yeah. it seems like we find a way to actually make it happen. Yes,
1: for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right, Dave. It's time for my favorite part of the episode, which is our tech talk questions. Yeah. Since we are clearly kicking off the Halloween series. Absolutely. Um, we're going to start with uh, what your favorite Halloween costumes are today. I mean, I love... I love Dave, the groupie drummer right now, but what are your <laughs> favorite past? Yeah. Long?
1: Oh, I would say my favorite one was almost, it had to be like 30 years ago. Uh, so this is when my wife and I first started dating and uh, we decided, I don't know how we came up with it, that I was going to dress up like a priest and she was going to dress up like a devil. And so I had a, uh, like a, like a, yeah it was Right after college graduation or so. So I had like a gown that I turned into like a priest outfit, you know, and everything with it and all that. And, uh, and, you know, innocent looking me. Uh, And then I remember picking my future wife up and we were dating for like maybe six months. And then she comes downstairs in the house and she's wearing this like black cat suit with uh these these devil ears she has a pitchfork and this was like the early 90s where she used about like two cans of of hairspray right and right her hair was like out and and i, I was like this is awesome so bigger
0: and than my, your hair right now
1: oh oh my gosh now yeah, it was it was like 90s <laughs> hair it was it was like it was like hole in the ozone layer uh hair it was it was great
0: that's awesome do you guys still coordinate 30 years later
1: oh, we're so boring. We're so boring. You know, it's like, if anything, yeah, it's, it's like, we live vicariously through my daughter who's, who's grown out of that trick-or-treating age. And so it's like, yeah, we just watch the Halloween kids come up to knock on the door and all that, but we're, we're pretty boring. And this is about as exciting as I get, which could be exciting.
0: Pretty exciting. It's pretty good. All right. Next question outside of work and podcasting. Um, what is something you like to do for fun in the fall or anytime, but yeah, yeah.
1: So this is, uh, well, uh, it's, uh, every time of year, except for winter is my, is, uh, my favorite time of year to ride my motorcycle. Uh, but fall in Ohio is amazing for, mm. uh, you know, you smell the leaves, you know, it's the kind of thing that you're in a car, you have the windows rolled up and you, you know, you, you don't get all the smells and everything and and the briskness, the crispness of the air and everything. Uh, but on the motorcycle, it's like you're zipping around all these country roads and all, you know, somebody has a bonfire going and somebody has a, you know, it, it's just, uh, amazing. You see all the leaves change color. It's, it's such a pretty time of year. Um, that and in spring, you know, it's like you wait all, you wait all, uh, winter in Northeast Ohio, which is like, feels like six months out of the year. And finally, literally the clouds part and it's it's beautiful and all the leaves come out and riding through the Cuyahoga Valley National Park and everything is, is one of my favorite things.
0: That's a national park I want to get to as well. But I, I agree. I love fall. This is my favorite time of year. So, yeah. all right. Do you have any favorite Halloween TV shows or movies or books?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it is it black sunday is the there's a netflix it's a zombie uh
0: show googling uh, or i don't know about this something it
1: it's really good uh yeah we'll have to get the right the right show and make sure we look that up but it's it's one of those like unexpected uh you know like how like
0: the black you know, summer Walking Dead,
1: black summer that could be it yeah where um you know they ended up you know, Walking Dead ends up being sort of like, sort of tiresome after, you know,
0: yeah you get a
1: decade, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and whereas this was like all new and like, you know, you're watching and then like in the background, you see this little thing coming at you or coming at the character and just running closer and closer and you're like screaming at the TV, get out of the way, you know, and oh, it's, it's really, really cool. Um, but uh, the, you know, I can't, you know, how often can you not say, Uh, talk about AI and conversation, Uh, but there's a book from 1966 uh, that I'm halfway through, and I'm really enjoying it. It's called Flowers for Algernon.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I read that book or knew that story like a long, long time ago, and now I'm not even, remind me the storyline. Yeah, yeah.
1: So this is, uh, so it's written from the first person where the main character is uh, somebody that was born mentally disabled, uh, you know, developmental disorders and all yeah. that. And uh, uh, he, uh, some scientists got a hold of him and they're like, hey, how'd you like to, we're going to do this experiment and we're going to make you smart. And so they, they you know, they do some studies with him and then they they compare him with a, a, a lab rat and the, the lab rat's name is Algernon and you know so they they compete of like who can go through mazes the fastest where you know uh the the rat goes through its maze and then he uh uh the charlie the main character traces out a maze they ultimately give him an operation i'm not spoiling anything um but uh but he slowly and slowly gets better and but what's interesting about the book is that it's you know written in the first person so like the first pages are like is so hard to read because the person's spelling phonetically and he's not using proper English mm-hmm. and all that, because it's from that, you know, from... that person that's mentally disabled. Yeah, And then it's like, slowly, but surely the language gets like, you know, goes up the SAT scale in terms of reading comprehension and everything. And what's interesting about it is that his IQ is surpassing his EQ
0: so his Mm -hmm.
1: you know he's getting smarter than his his emotional maturity Mm -hmm. and uh and and so seeing that like pass itself up blows my mind but the reason why i bring the book up is i i think about um you know it's like a modern day black mirror version of it would be um a generative ai that is like it's not that smart it's like gpt2 or something like that and then, you know, you get to like GPT-4 and people are like, whoa, this is this is pretty awesome. And imagine like, you know, GPT-7 is like passing judgment on humanity that it's totally passed things up. But does it have emotional intelligence beyond, uh, you know, uh, normal intelligence?
0: Yeah, you should write that book.
1: Yeah, I should have <laughs> uh, AI write it. Um, yeah.
0: There you go. Just do that. All yeah. right. Well, yeah. thank you. And thanks listeners for joining us on Tech Transforms smash that like button, share this episode. Happy Halloween.
1: Happy Halloween, thanks.
0: Thanks, Dave. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms, sponsored by Dynatrace. For more Tech Transforms, Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram.